Listen and stream the only talk radio, Freedom 106.5, for the only talk that matter. We say good morning to all those listening to us, those on air, those in on their vehicles. Uh, of course, definitely a pleasure to be uh, spending some time with you right here on Freedom 106.5 FM. And as we continue along the discussions, we present to Agribusiness Innovation with Jody White, uh, Managing Director for Pomeroon Products Limited. It's all about agribusiness innovation. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, Govan. Good morning, Trinidad and Tobago. Welcome for another installment of Agribusiness Innovation here on Freedom 106.5 FM. And today we're going to be discussing sargasm seaweed. You know that thing that floats in the sea whenever you go to the beaches around this time of year? It's a little bit irritating. It's difficult to enjoy the beach. It washes up. It smells bad. It scratches your skin. It doesn't look too nice. Well, we have some companies who are actually trying to make use of this and turning it into very viable innovations. And today, when our guest joins us shortly, he owns a company called Algas Organics. And Algas Organics found a way to turn sargasm seaweed into fertilizer. And he's been on his journey for a number of years, I believe almost 10 years. And he will show us exactly what his journey has been like, uh, the nature of the products. I'm not too sure if any of you here have used it, but it's available on the market locally as well. So, you know, Govin, have you ever gone to the beach and encountered the seaweed recently? Unfortunately, yes. Um, a number of years ago, when we had this big, huge amount of these, um, the seaweed all over, um, it was Mayaro actually. Uh, I would have been there and the entire beach would have been inundated with it. Um, beautiful weather and everything. Uh, unfortunately, unable to enjoy the sun, sea and sand because, of course, the entire shore would have been covered with it. The water would have been filled and the smell wasn't too nice either. So it's a, it's you know, a, yeah. this year's bloom, on the call it a bloom, this year's bloom is one of the worst we've ever had. And I believe it's at least twice the size of the United States as floating towards us. And it's already gotten oh here. Wow. So it's going to be a, a massive problem that we're going to have to deal with and figure out how to make use of all of this. Uh, and I mean, making use of all of this, I don't know if we could, but at least some people are trying to find ways that one day could be possibly scale up and really make a big impact with it. Right, right. Um, you, you mentioned that um, it's, it's being used as... Um, compost is it manual well f- f- fertilizer. fertilizer so yeah, I think he was actually able to extract whatever nutrients from it and actually turn it into a liquid so i don't think it's a powder i think it's actually a liquid and he's able to you know use it as fertilizer and i met him years ago when he just started and he was now trying to get us off of the ground i think he did quite well um and i think he's now joined here with us Yohanan, welcome to Freedom 106.5 FM. You are here live with us on Freedom 106.5 for an episode of Agribusiness Innovation. It's nice to have you here. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me on. So I gave them a brief introduction, but I mean, you're here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I I see myself as uh, a young entrepreneur who... I would say sees sustainable solutions to the problems around him and is who is determined to bring about those sustainable solutions at scale. 
That's how I describe myself. Um, so someone who thinks outside the box. That's, that's what I'd say. Now, I met you years ago, and you wouldn't remember, but it was on a trade show, I think, at least eight years ago, and I do not remember what country I was in. And I remember you having a, a table and just a chair and with just a couple of bottles of the Algas Organics there, and we had a brief conversation. And it's nice to see how far you've come with this. So tell us what the journey has been like for creating these products. Uh, it's it's really been a... a uh... A roller coaster, but a very fun one. Um, I would say that there's just, you know, every mountain that you climb in this journey, you feel very excited that you've climbed it. And then you look and you see a, a taller mountain. That's what it's been like. So uh, if I go back to the beginning, um, you know, first of all, I saw the problem on the, the beaches of St. Lucia and the wider Caribbean. And the founding idea was, how do we create a win-win-win-win where we can solve this environmental problem, create employment for women and marginalized youth in impoverished communities, but also create economic activity by taking the seaweed and turning it into a fertilizer that can be used globally. And so that's a very, very big vision. And so uh, going back to my initial analogy, um, we first made the product, uh, we developed it in conjunction with several universities and uh, got tested in Trinidad, got tested by Kariri, Kafa, all of that. And when we did all of that in St. Lucia, we thought to ourselves, okay, now that we have a product that is made from sargassum and we've proven that we could make something from it, we expected the government to come in and say, okay, take all, that never happened. So. You know, that was so what we had to do from day one was to figure out, okay, who do we sell this to? And that's what I mean by one mountain. So the first mountain was who do we get to try this in St. Lucia? And so we went around giving out samples to farmers in the agricultural communities. And over time the product built a reputation in those spaces. And we were in every shop in St. Lucia. And I felt great. I felt like we'd climbed over one mountain. And then I realized that St. Lucia is small. And if your impact, if you want to have an impact on removing millions and millions of pounds of sargassum seed from the beach, selling product to small farms in St. Lucia is not how you're going to do that. So that's when on top of that mountain, I realized, wow, um, that's a very small mountain. And so we started exporting to other countries. So we export to seven countries now. And each country was sort of the same experience with, especially in the Caribbean, uh, you get to one market and you figure, okay, and you realize that's also a small market. And you get to the next market, you think, okay, this is also small. And so now we are focused on North America, which is a huge market. And that is where we are now seeing real impact. We're able to uh, handle millions and millions of pounds of sargassum seaweed. Um, so that's what that journey has, has been like. It's been a, a real roller coaster, but one driven by vision and incredible an incredible team support from our investors, Massey and Nudge, Caribbean are one of our investors. So that's been a year from Trinidad. That's been a huge help. Um, and so, yeah, that's what the journey has, has, has basically been like. Can you describe what the product itself is? Absolutely. So the product is a liquid uh, biofertilizer that allows farmers to save up to 20% on fertilizer cost, uh, but also um, 
improves their yield by up to 20%. So what's happening is that farmers are saving money by using this product and then they're making more money uh, on the output from their fields. Um, the product itself is a liquid extract made from sargassum seaweed. It is uh, biostimulant, so to speak, in that what we do is we extract all of the natural growth compounds in the seaweed. So uh, cytokines, auxins, gibberellins, all of the beneficial growth compounds in there, we extract them in, in concentrate form. And we're able to provide that to farmers who then feed that to their plants and the plants love it. The plants are able to deal with uh, flooding, they're able to deal with uh, uh, heat stress, they're able to produce more fruit, and that obviously makes the farmers very happy. So, do you have a background in chemistry or biology or something? Yes, I, I, I'm, uh, I did, I did uh, study biology, yes. Now this this makes more sense because to me it sounds like a very complicated process to do. I mean, I mean, what? How did you learn to actually do this? This whole turning seaweed into fertilizer. Um, I think it goes back to curiosity and the desire to. I would say curiosity, humility, and the desire to have an impact and to solve a problem. That's all it took. Um, and so what I mean by that is, uh, you know, we went out, we started collecting the seaweed and the first few things we did failed miserably. We collect the seaweed, we dried it out, and then we tried to sell dried bag seaweed, which failed, obviously. That wasn't a great idea. <laughs> and, uh, and why, 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 why wasn't it a good idea? What happened? So what happened was, um, so, so to give you that story, I, I took my dad's van, we went out to the beaches. Uh, that's in the early days. We collected a, a van of seaweed. We dried it off. And my thought process was with that initial idea, well, if we can dry it off and bag it and sell it, then this is organic matter that we could sell to farmers to put into the soil. And, you know, that'd be good because the soil was being pumped with chemicals. I, I was told that if we just dry seaweed and we add it to plants, that it might have a high salt content and, and damage the plant. Is that true? in the soil and I'm getting good results on my next crop because it takes a while to break down but I want to apply like how I do if my miracle grow my well grow or my I want to get immediate results and that's what they wanted and so the reason that I, that initial product that we had failed was it took too long to give farmers a result and that's what led to us developing the product that we have now where I realized, wow, um, there's definitely something in the seaweed that's contributing to the growth of the plants, but we needed to uh, extract it, concentrate it, and then provide it to farmers in a form that they could apply and get immediate results. And that's what we're doing now, and that's what we've been doing for the last uh, few years. And farmers across the Caribbean uh, love this product. What makes this so much better for a farmer. I know you said it's cheaper, but why is it so much better? What in it is, is so superior to say somebody who, like listeners here, might say just we know blue salt. What makes this so much better? Absolutely. So blue salt is a great product. What makes algas different is what it does to the plant. So when you apply something like blue salt, which is high in N, P, and K, which is nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, it probably has some micronutrients. 
those things are taken up by the plant as the plant needs it. So if you spread blue salt or you apply blue salt, the plant will take what it needs when it needs. You're not influencing anything in the plant per se. You're just giving it food, and when it feels like eating the food, it'll eat the food. When you apply our gas, and I, I don't want to get too technical, but when you apply our gas, you are making the plant respond the way you want it to respond. That's the difference. So basically, when you apply our gas, you are applying this product that then influences the root system directly to improve the uptake of nutrients. When you apply the product, you are telling that plant when it's producing uh, energy from photosynthesis, rather than using that to grow taller, use that photosynthetic energy to produce more flowers and bud sites. So you are influencing specific parts of the crop growth cycle that's going to benefit you from a profit perspective later on with our product. Whereas when you just apply blue salt, the plant will take what it takes, take what it wants, when it wants. And, you know, if there's heat stress or if there are nutrient deficiencies like micronutrient deficiencies, the blue salt might not necessarily help with those. We're helping the overall plant to grow better, grow faster, but to produce more. And what I'll say one more thing is, it's not blue salt or algas. What we've seen across the Caribbean and in North America, it's blue salt and algas. What we've seen is that farmers are adding our product to the fertilizer that they're using and getting a much better result than if they use the fertilizer alone. Are you the first person to come up with this? Like, were you the inventor of, of, of creating, um, you know, this 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 fortified product from seaweed from sargassum seaweed yes oh wow 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 is there anything like a patent you could you could have or absolutely the product is patented in north america europe uh canada as well yeah that's quite amazing actually you you know you told us that you didn't get much support from the regional government as, as you, you thought you would so we'll get into that in a little bit we're actually getting near to a commercial break. So I think I want to get to that break now. And when we get back, I want to actually dive into more what the sargassum seaweed is and the extent of the problem that we're facing in the Caribbean with it. Talk, talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. And Freedom 106.5 takes you back to agribusiness innovation. Jody. So, Johanna, what exactly is the sargassum seaweed? Is this something that is recent, has, has it been coming to our shores for decades? What exactly is it? Right, so sargassum seaweed is a benthic or pelagic seaweed. It's free-floating. It's been uh, it's been around for as long as probably the UFS existed. Columbus wrote about getting sargassum stuck in his propellers <laughs> back in the 1400s. So that's how far back it's been around. Uh, there's actually a body of water called the Sargasso Sea in the North Atlantic. So Bermuda is actually located in the Sargasso Sea. There's a body of water where this has existed for millennia. Um, so that's a normal free-floating seaweed. It tends to be very beneficial in, in smaller quantities in the uh, marine ecosystem. And it's it's generally a very good seaweed. What's What's happened is that due to climate change, due to increasing ocean temperatures, and due to increasing agricultural runoff, um, this seaweed has began blooming aggressively, so much so that it is visible from space now. If you go to Google the Great Atlantic Sargassum Belt, you will see that there's now a 5,500-mile-long 
uh, a stretch almost 20 million tons of sargassum seaweed extending from the Gulf of Mexico as far east as Sierra Leone. And that's separate from the Sargasso Sea. So basically a whole other Sargasso Sea has formed, <laughs> right? Due to, you know, again, agricultural runoff from South America, you know, you're having warmer ocean temperatures. All of these things have, have contributed to a whole new Sargasso Sea forming. And so this is a real problem. As a matter of fact, uh, last year, for the first time, it surpassed 20 million tons, not pounds, people, tons. And can you imagine that in 2011, there was only 9 million tons there? So it's doubled in, in about 10 years. So there's only going to be more and more and more of it coming in. And governments in the region are going to have to deal with it. Um, but I think that, you know, depending on the government alone to do that, maybe I'm jumping the gun, but we, we cannot as a people sit down when we see problems and throw our hands up in the air and somehow expect that some external force to ourselves is going to come and save us. Because frankly, sometimes they don't have the expertise, the desire, the knowledge to do that. So it's up to us to do that. You told me how much? 20 million tons, that's what you said? That is correct. No. To put that into perspective, I'm curious. How much seaweed would you process maybe in a in a cycle? I'm trying to figure out how many operations like yours would we need to use that up? Uh, yeah, so we, we use about a million pounds per year. Pounds. So we're making just a minor dent. But here's what here's what I'll say. Because of how much land there is in the world. I don't mean the Caribbean, because we, not, we don't plan that much. Because of how much land there is in the world, I've always said, and I firmly believe, that there's not a sargassum seaweed problem at all. Because the land mass, let's look at a crop like, like soybeans, for example. Well, soybeans in America alone is grown on about 80 million acres. Now, let's put this into perspective. We don't have a sargassum seaweed problem at all. What we have is a tremendous opportunity as a region to create economic development from a somewhat free resource that very few people have identified as such. And that's just the U.S. We're not talking about Brazil. We're not talking about China. We're not talking about anywhere else. That's just one uh, geography. We have to think big. There's not a there's there's a tremendous opportunity, and while we must focus on the food security of the region, the world is much bigger than the region. In which country is this made right now? The product is now made in Saint Lucia. Right. Um, I I now is not may not be the appropriate time to give that hint, but it uh, for now it's made in Saint Lucia, but that that may that may be expanded. And, you know, let's just say that, uh, yeah, that'll be expanded. <laughs> I'll take a hint. Now, when you came up with this, I'm sure you had the opportunity to present this to regional leaders. What type of response did you get? Uh, as with, with, with many things, I think that there's there was enthusiasm, but... I think that the region has become used to a, a certain model that tends to be extractive 
And if you are presenting something that's not extractive because it doesn't fit that mold that the, the people are used to, it tends to not get the best response. What I will say is that countries like Barbados um, have been very forward-thinking. Um, I would say countries like Guyana have been very forward-thinking. Um, but the rest of the region has tended to sort of bury their heads in the sand a bit. Actually, Trinidad as well has been very receptive and very supportive um, of, of what we're doing. So those three countries, Sinusha to an extent. Um, but the, the wider region, I don't think they've really seen the opportunity yet. And I think that's just an incentive to scale up what we're doing a bit more so that they could they could really see the you know, thousands of jobs are being created here and maybe I'm missing out on something. Is is there a way to quantify how much damage or losses that we're facing from this? Because I, I've seen uh videos done on tourist resorts saying, you know, with this amount of seaweed, people are not coming. We're losing money from tourism. Guests don't want to fly to the Caribbean during this time because of how bad this problem is. Is there a way we has anybody ever quantified the cost of it? Oh uh, yeah, there have been some studies uh, done in the USVI, I believe, where there were uh, in the Dominican Republic, where they were actually starting to quantify that. And um, you know, it's it 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 looked to be. I, I briefly uh, browsed through it. It, it looked to be um, sizable. You know, if you go to TripAdvisor and you type "sagasm seaweed," you'd see the number of comments, negative reviews. Um, if I could share my screen, I'll show you what that actually looks like. It's it's very serious where you really see people are saying, look, man, I don't want to come to this place because of this. But I think, frankly, um, you know, there are losses and the hotels are doing their best to stem the problem the best they can. But they're also constrained budget-wise and you can only do so much. That's the thing. So uh, it's a matter of economics. If they're losing $10 because people aren't coming, let's say $10 a month for argument's sake, for easy math, and a solution is going to cost them $20 a month, and they're not, they're not, they're not really going to do anything about it. So that's what we've seen. Your collection of seaweed, do you hire locals to say, go out and bring me seaweed, or do you occupy a place and the seaweed just comes to you? What does that whole model look like of collecting this? All right, so essentially what happens is we would uh, go out and train. We focus on women and marginalized youth in, in impoverished communities. So we'd go out and train uh, these persons in, in collection. Um, we'd let them use the technology to forecast the arrivals. We'd work very closely with them. And then what we'd do is once we have on the forecast that this agas is supposed to be arriving over the next few days, they are deployed daily to go out to do the collection. In some instances, it's mechanized as well, where there's you know a lot more volume coming in. But we train persons and we employ them in the collection and processing of the material. Um, they take so it would be collected. Let's use St. Lucia uh, in the east of the island. It would go down to our factory in the east, which is in Denry, and then the um, from there we process it. Uh, we do in-house testing. Uh, we send it out to Kafa and Kariri for third-party testing as per EPA standards and international standards. Um, and then we bottle and export accordingly. Um, so that's that's basically how that, that works. And we're going to be automating a few more aspects of that, of that process. But yes, we work with persons in the local community. I will tell you that I visited Manzanilla 
uh, 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 I visited uh, some of the east coast of, of, of um, I think that was Mayaro down that side um, in Trinidad. And, you know, we, we, we can say, I think Trinidad is, a, is an interesting place. What would you say are limiting factors right now for you? Equipment? Uh, is it the amount of seaweed? Is it land space? Or is it just customer usage? What is the limiting factor right now for you expanding this into something massive? I don't think there's a limiting factor at all. I think it's just a matter of time. Um, and what I mean by that is before you could have adoption of any technology, there's a learning curve where people need to be larger farmers internationally need to be exposed to it. And we're doing that daily. And so it's just a, it's just a matter of snowballing. I don't think we have any limiting factors at this point. It is, uh, you know, I won't speak much on it, but we're doing trials internationally with this with some massive farms uh, across the world. So it's just snowballing and, and time. That's it. Just being patient, being deliberate, uh, remaining focused, and continuing to add value to farmers. Because I've always said farmers are the most intelligent people uh, in the world. And why do I say that? Because they understand that if we don't grow food, we're going to die. <laughs> many people don't understand that. <laughs> Uh, you'd be surprised how many people don't understand that. They think food comes from supermarkets. It's, it's not a joke. You, you'd be surprised. But farmers farmers are very intelligent people. And I think that by adding value to farmers, when a farmer applies your product and they can see I was picking uh, four crates of peppers, I'm getting 12 now, I'm getting eight now. When they see that value on the ground, then that's what it takes really to to continue to scale. And that's what we've been doing. So I've seen some articles talking about heavy metals and sargassum seaweed, talking that we have to be careful how we use it. Have you ever encountered something like that? Absolutely. Our patented process uh, actually addresses this issue. That's why we were even awarded the patent in the first place. Um, and so, yeah, we uh, sargassum seaweed in its raw form tends to be high in arsenic, cadmium, uh, you know, even mercury sometimes. Uh, but our process, and we test the sargassum going in, and we test the final product, and then CAFA tests the product again, and then we test it again in the U.S. Um, our product, we use a special type of microbe that we've developed. That's what we have the patent for. So we use a microbe that uses the heavy metals as energy. <laughs> so it eats the heavy metals <laughs> to actually produce, uh, to, to go through that process. If I could share my screen with you, uh, can I share my screen? I can't hear you. You could, but I think the listener, the listeners may not be able to see the actual see screen it. over the radio. Yeah. No, understood. But uh, I was just showing the, the the latest heavy metal analysis, and just to put that into perspective, right. uh, if you look at arsenic, the percentage of arsenic in our product, uh, and this is in concentrator, so that is zero point zero 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 for one percent in concentrate but you are diluting this product 10 15 ml per gallon so basically you are diluting this product 252 times so that's 0 0.0000041 divided by 250 <laughs> so 
so that you end up with just for dramatic effect i always like to do the 0.0000000000000000 so you have no you are 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
So we wouldn't want to do that or use those technologies. Our focal point is really collecting it when it comes into a bay, because once it comes into a bay, the scientific consensus is that um, what's going to happen is the air sacs that keep the sargassum afloat start to pop once they get into a bay and become stagnant, and then it sinks and dies. So anything that is in that seaweed in that bay would have died anyway. So that, that way, what happens is there's scientific consensus that it's okay to collect from there because you're actually doing the ecosystem a service by doing that. And here's why. When the seaweed comes into a bay, that smell you get, that, that hydrogen sulfide smell you get, is that seaweed sucking all of the available oxygen from the water and killing everything beneath it. So when it comes into a bay, our work really, and that's one of the win-win-win-wins that I spoke about earlier, when it comes into a bay, not only is everything that's in it going to die, but if you allow it to begin decomposition in that water, once you start to take that hydrogen sulfide smell, that rotten egg smell, then it's not just going, it's not just a seaweed that's dying, it is anything in it, and any coral, fish, anything beneath there gets killed as well. So by us pulling it off from the bay, it's a huge ecosystem service. You're removing this from there, you're not allowing it to build up in the ecosystem, and that benefits these, these areas where we actually do collection. I think you're muted. <laughs> what about other, other types of seaweed? Do we regularly see that in the region where sargassum the main one that we encounter right now? Uh, yeah, in, in the volumes that we're seeing it, the, the scientific name is sargassum, natans, and fluitans. Uh, you know, there's one, three, four. Those are the different species that we're seeing in the Caribbean right now. And those are the highest volume by far that we see. Sargassum, natans, and fluitans, one, three, and four. Would you want to experiment with sargassum in other industries? I mean, turning it into other forms. Is that something on the table there or no? Absolutely, but I think that's a longer term. That's a longer term endeavor, um, and but yes, that's on the table. I think that you first have to create something of value that you build the brand around, and then once you have that brand recognition, then you could venture out into other things. Uh, and you know, and it's difficult to do as well. You know, uh, let's put this into perspective. We've been at this now from 2014. So it's not it's not something that happens overnight either. So I think um, we're definitely getting a foothold in agriculture and adding value there. And I think definitely there's opportunities beyond that. But we understand that it takes a lot of investment and a lot of time. Um, and so we need to look at what markets we can actually add value in next before we just go into something. Because let's say you go make biogas tomorrow and your biogas is more expensive than the gas right now. Who's going to buy it from you? You could make it, but where are you going to sell it? Now, is, is this something that's more suited for certain types of crops and other types of crops, or is this something that could just be used on anything that they grow in? That's a fantastic question. So what we've seen across the Caribbean and North America, people are using the product uh, in a range of ways. We've seen it being used on rice, which is fantastic. Mark Forgeny from the uh Rice. Yes, sir. That's one of our that's one of our guys. He uses the algas down there. And you could ask Mark what he thinks about it, um, amongst others. 
Um, so we've seen it being used on rice. We've seen it being used on cocoa. We have a we have a trial right now going on with the with the cocoa institute down in Trinidad. Um, uh, we've seen it being used on tomatoes, on soybeans, corn, on uh, peppers, uh, watermelons, uh, these types of crops. We've also been we've also seen it used successfully on um, on orchids. And some of these like house plants and flowering plants, we've seen we've seen benefit there too. To grass, and in the U.S. where it's it's more it's legal, you know, we've seen uh, or state legal at least. We've seen you know hemp. It's been used on hemp as well. With fantastic results as well. So from what I've seen, those are the we believe that anything with leaves and roots it'll work pretty well on. But <laughs> I think to speak based on the science that we have and the experience that we have. Those crops that I outlined earlier would be the main things that we've seen, you know, real massive um, improvements. So I've seen the pictures early on when you just started, you had photos of using Argus Organics products, regular NPK, and uh, not using anything. And you had different photos showing the difference in your root growth, and I believe the difference in the tomatoes itself. I don't know if you remember those early, early days. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> that's really And I remember it. So then is it something I could use in like a hydroponic system here? Because you have a lot of people doing lettuce and patro and these things. Is this something that could possibly be used in there? And is this considered organic as well? Great question. Uh, we are pursuing Omri certification as we speak for organic certification. The product is organic, but I guess if you want to say, is it certified organic by Omri? No, we're in that process. But it's a natural product. Um, and yes, it can be used in hydroponics. I'm just sharing my screen. The, 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 uh, your guests won't be able to see, your listeners won't be able to see it, but this is a hydroponic system for uh, hemp. And uh, look at the uh, root development that you're seeing there. So, yeah. You, wow. you, could, you could use this. You could use it. And that's a huge difference. You could use it. So, do you have distributors in, in the in the Caribbean islands, or how, how do you get it into the different countries right now? Uh, right now, what we're doing, we, we Massey is not just one of our investors, but they're one of our major distributors. So I have to I have to pick up Massey and, and nudge uh, for their support again. And so yeah, Massey distributes the product in uh, in Saint Lucia, in Guyana. Uh, we have other distributors in. Uh, we have other distributors in Jamaica, Belize, uh, the U.S. So yeah, we work predominantly through distributors in the in the smaller in the smaller markets. Trinidad, we're we're in the process of, of replacing. Uh, uh, you know, one of our distributors actually was acquired, so we're now going to be replacing. Um, we're going to be replacing distributors there. But what what I would say is, you know. People like Southern Chem has this product down in down there. Southern Chem, Asasco, um, Trinidad is like my second home, so you might be wondering how, how I know these places. But anyway, so so Asasco and um, and, uh, and and Southern Chem, Rohit, some of these places are, are um, you know Shania Agri, which is out in Tobago. These are some of the places that already carry the product and have been selling it for some time in Trinidad. If people want to get it now. Of course, a biosca is the only company. My question is, should people be switching from other types of fertilizers to more natural types of fertilizers and why? My answer to that is 
what I say to farmers across the world. Don't take anything I say for it. You need to try it in your field. And so uh, before making a switch to oil, gas or any fertilizer, I would advise farmers, if what you're doing right now is blue salt or whatever you're using, and you know you get four crates, five crates, whatever it is, and you are thinking of trying a new product, then leave a row, that's what we do everywhere, leave a row or two of um, of your field where you just you, you do what you normally do everywhere else, and in that row you could do blue salt and oil gas and watch and see the difference. So you just mark it out and you assess that. So at harvest you go, you see, okay, on that side of the field where I normally just use blue salt or I use something else, 10 crates, where I use the oil gas, I got 15 crates. Let me see that, that I paid $100 for a liter of oil gas. I got an extra five crates. I'm making $100 a crate. So I spend in $100 on oil gas and I'm making $500. Okay, it might be worth it, fine. When, when you have done a test like that, fantastic. But I, I think everybody is going to come and say, my product does this, my product does that. I advise farmers to don't just take what I'm saying for it. Try that product out in your field yourself. Watch it deliver that value for you. And once you've seen that and you're confident, go for it. That's how, that's how we advise farmers. Freedom 106.5 FM, agribusiness innovation. We're here for our last commercial break and we'll be back in just a short moment. Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. And welcome back to Freedom 106.5 FM, agribusiness innovation. I'm seeing on your website, you're seeing over 200 turtles saved. Tell me more about that. Absolutely. So uh, because we're collecting the sargassum from the uh, seashore rather than going out into open waters, what happens is in the collection process, uh, people tend to, some of the team members would, would find turtles in there. And what we do is we make sure that we uh, return them. We just put them back into the water outside of the buildup of sargassum so that they could actually survive and go back out. So we've seen a lot of, I think it's Hawksbills and some of the others out there. So that's been really nice. And that's part of our training as well, where, you know, we don't drive tractors on on beaches where we know there's turtle nesting, uh, turtle nesting sites. We, we use people to do that. And that's one of the benefits that we're able to, um, you know, save some turtles along the way as well. We always like to take photos and to find one of them pictures to show you, but we always like to take photos of them and videos of us releasing them. So people know that we're not, we're not, a, we're, a, we're an environmentally conscious company. We're not about, you know, destroying nature to make a profit, but we work in conjunction with nature to help farmers make a profit. From the time that you collect the seaweed to our final bottled product, how long does that process take? Uh, it's about two weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Two weeks. And is there any byproduct or waste that comes out of this process? That's a fantastic question. So uh, there's a there's a product that we make, we call Saga Moss. And it, it's, as in like Saga Moss, it's like a peat moss replacement. When we extract the liquid um, and concentrate it, there's a waste material left over that we compost. And you'd never believe it. It feels like like soil. When you're done, the consistent when you compost it, the consistency is like soil. And so what we found is we've seen people um, actually take this. People would farmers would be fighting by the factory for this thing. But the thing is, we never had in we never had like a lot of it. So we never commercialized it. But as we scale up and we sell more and more liquid, then we're going to have more and more waste. 
which is not really waste. So we're going to compost and incinerate that. But yeah, there's no waste in the process. Um, this product, farmers are using it for potting soil, for uh, to start their seedlings in, all that just stuff. So yeah. So what is next for you? What is next for the company? What is the next step that we're going to see happening? I always like to to say that um, God knows best. We are going to be a lot further than where we are now. Is much is all I can say. Um, and I like to let results do the talking. So what I would say is that we have some interesting things happening, and by this time next year, if we speak again, then we'd have considerable milestones to talk about. Let's put it that way. Okay, quite interesting. Is this something that you think you may want to put a plant in each different country, or do you see yourself building one massive plant in the Caribbean? What what do you see as some of the best solutions to the problems that we're seeing? I think that there are, in every endeavor, there are innovators, there are early adopters, that they call it the law of diffusion of innovation. So in everything, there are early adopters, these are the people who see an opportunity and they'll try it. They are the early, the, you know, they're the, they're the early majority who then say, oh, I see these people using it and I like it, so I'll try it. And you have the laggards who are way at the back where the only time they're going to try something is when they have no choice. I think in the region, that, that, that spectrum exists. And I think that innovative countries like Trinidad, like Barbados, um, some of the others like Guyana, et cetera, I think they're very innovative countries that will be at the forefront and will benefit immensely. And um, the others will, will, by the time they catch on, all of the benefit would have already been derived by Trinidad and some of the other countries as well, I would say. I'm 100% sure of that. (laughs) (laughs) So we're seeing good things happening out there with this seaweed. Do you think that the Caribbean will ever get a handle on the problem or do you think in the next 10 years you're going to be back here talking about the same thing saying we should be doing more in the next 10 years we would probably be processing every blade of sargassum that arrives in the caribbean when you say we algas or you mean different companies i mean algas with the support of nudge massey the, the rest <laughs> of our team with every blade of this thing that arrives they'll be processing it you know it'll be nice because i can have a vacation plan coming up in a couple of days and I'm just thinking to myself I completely hate it when I go on a Caribbean vacation and the beach is littered with this thing every morning you hear the tractors coming scraping the beaches it smells bad it gets under my feet and you know if we could get this problem under control I think there's so many economic benefits that could be had if people could find ways of turning this into multiple different products then definitely is something that would be great. I mean, you're doing it on one end in terms of the inputs for farming, but if people could find ways of turning this into food in one way or the other, I know there's some research, but if somebody was really able to commercialize it, then you know this would be a good opportunity for a free resource. You know, we don't have to pay for it other than collection. So it, it's it's really good if we can get to that to that point. Johan, I want to know, do you have any closing remarks for us? Because we're coming to the end of this program. Is there anything that you'd like to say, anything you'd like to see happen, something you'd like to address the general population with? Tell us. 
Um, yeah, we are. I think what I'd close with is that we are. You're going to see this product a lot more in Trinidad soon. And when you go to your local agri shop, ask for Algas. Um, you will. You will definitely be able to get your hands on more. It's in short supply now, but you, you're definitely going to be able to get some more of it at your local agri shop. Um, and I, I'd also like to close by saying that I have an immense level of respect and appreciation for uh, our Trinidadian brothers and sisters, especially the, the team at, at Nudge and Massey. They've been incredible and the level of support that we've uh, received from from Trinidad is, is unbelievable. It almost feels like I was born there. So um, I'm, I'm really grateful. I just want to share my appreciation and gratitude for that. And um, I, I just close by saying, you could ask for this your local agri shop and don't be surprised if in the not too distant future, um, you know, you might see you might see a lot more of, of, of the, the beneficial impacts of what we're doing in Trinidad. Yeah, I want to backpedal on something quickly and I'm sorry I have to backpedal on this so, but Sargassum isn't around all year. So is it that production for you has to take place in certain times of the year? Actually, no, our patented process allows us to preserve the seaweed for up to two years. So, so what we do is we, we go out and collect, we stockpile, and um, we have material. So, for example, if there's no seaweed on the beach right now, we have stockpiles that we can produce from. So, yeah. Okay. Well, this has been Agribusiness Innovation here on Freedom 106.5 FM. We had a lovely discussion with Mr. Johanan Dujon of Algas Organics, a company that turns sargassum seaweed into usable, high-quality fertilizers. Johanan, thank you for being here with us. We appreciate you spending the time, and we wish you all the best in the future. This has been Agribusiness Innovation. Thank you, Jody. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much, Jody, and our special guest today joining us for Agribusiness Innovation and reminding you that you could join us next week, Thursday, right here on Freedom 106.5 FM for another riveting edition, insightful, and giving us a lot of details about all you can do to innovate in the field of agriculture and beyond right here on Freedom 106.5 FM. Talk, talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com.